There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. (sighs) (sighs) The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Welcome to episode 36 of the No Encore Music Podcast. I'm getting judging eyes from around this table, a very, very packed table this week. And I guess we'll start with my regular brethren. We'll start with Craig Fitzpatrick. Enter Sandhan. How goes it? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the worst name yet. They're still teamed though, so I'm putting some effort in. We're reviewing Metallica on this episode. Yeah, so yeah. Very, that very was good. the joke. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to explain it, you yeah. know? I'm yeah. already disappointed you didn't go with Han Unkind. Oh. Well, uh, that voice is Dave Higgins. How does it feel to be alive? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast, Dave. Should we do Thanks. it? Woo! Ow! We need to get football rattles. Can we get a football rattle sound effect, please, Alan? Excellent. That's Colin Morrigan. How's it going? Hi. Hello. How are you? Good, yeah, not too bad. It's good to have you back. I didn't have a themed entrance like the two boys, but uh, it's good to be here. Well, how about you give our wrestling fan-loving friend who's sitting next to you a proper introduction because there's been some hints of this other person who's sitting next to me before on this very very podcast there has his name has been mentioned once or twice in passing once or twice in long form dwelling <laughs> we are delighted to say the repatriated from the six back in ireland and finally on no encore it's josh Hughes. Yeah! and he's brought drake it's Joshua Hughes. <laughs> I was running through the six with my wall. Do I really deserve that much of an intro? No. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck no. We'll but, see, I guess, would be the answer. Well, <laughs> yeah, based welcome, on my performance today. <laughs> welcome home, though. Uh, you're back from Canada. Mm-hmm. Two and a half years. In prison. In prison, yeah. What'd you learn? Uh, not much. 
break a chair over someone's back the first night and you're pretty much good. <laughs> Canadians are quite good that way. They're polite. He apologized for breaking the chair. <laughs> hey, did I get in your way? They apologized to me for making me do it. <laughs> That's so good there. Okay, uh, before we get going, some things to talk about. Last week, myself, Craig, and Dave Higgins, and Craig's sister went to see a David Lynch film, The Lighthouse Cinema. Yeah, that wasn't awkward at all. <laughs> that film was yeah, Lost Highway. Real nice family movie. <laughs> yeah, it really was. I forgot all of the violent sex scenes. <laughs> of which there are a lot. It was about 90% of the film. <laughs> so he sat next to my 19-year-old sister. Yeah, uh, Vinny Casey of Overhead the Albatross fame was there. Yeah, He thought you were on a date. <laughs> he did, but it yeah. wasn't a date, because <laughs> it was your sister. <laughs> I would have been even Had Vinny put his pants on since the hot press shoot, oh, because no. I saw that behind-the-scenes photo earlier, and it's kind of scarred me. No, he hadn't, so it was a very strange <laughs> cinema experience. He made yeah. banned from the Lighthouse yeah, Cinema yeah. and most of Dublin. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to bring that up just to make Craig feel a little bit more awkward again. Okay, yeah, mission accomplished. <laughs> Let's get on with the podcast. Is there another uh, family outing from Holland Drive? I think there might be. Okay. Depends if she's not too scared. Oh, there's no sex scenes in that. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, but it'll be kind of light entertainment compared to last week. Anyway. Well, uh, other cinema entertainment. I saw Arrival, which is the kind of big sci-fi movie of the moment. Dave Higgins also saw it. And when I went to see it, like, you know, I've, I've noted before that, you know, I can be a bit of an emotional guy. And the ending of Arrival really hit me in the feels, as they say. And, uh, you know, sitting in Drada Cinema. Your testicles. <laughs> a couple of tears streaming down. Very, very good movie. I really, really enjoyed it. The use of music in it is actually particularly great. Max Richter's score. Uh, but Dave... Johan Johansson? Well, Max Richter was used for the main kind of motif. Oh, okay. On the nature of daylight. Yeah, get it right, film critic. But you're right, Johan Johansson did do the score. Yeah. Nonetheless... <laughs> lads, lads, take it outside. Come on. <laughs> Dave Higgins also saw the movie and noted to me in a pretty spectacular WhatsApp message that it, it was now the, the film that almost made you cry the most. Yeah, so it, it has usurped Up and The Shawshank Redemption. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Because you don't cry at films because you're a big, tough guy. It's nothing to do with being tough. It's just, <laughs> I, like, I, I can well up, but, you know, for something to extract the tears from me, it just takes something a little bit more that, you know, Arrival didn't have. Well, I had it for someone. Yeah, so uh, I was sitting down in the lighthouse. I had my, my scarf just beside me. There was plenty of space and someone came along. I was like, can I sit down there? I was like, yeah, no problem. Uh, my girlfriend turned to me and was like, do you know who that is? And I was like, no. And she's like, that's Ellen Page. And I was like, it's probably not. So, yeah, I didn't stare at her because I'm not a weird person. But uh, <laughs> towards the end of the movie, the movie had ended. And at the point where most people with a heart apparently were crying, uh, I was getting ready to leave. I just took a little glance to my right and she was bawling crying. So oh. there you go. Well, I, I'm disappointed that you didn't take the opportunity to tell that Juno is the worst film of all time. I feel like it would have been a low blow at, you know... It wasn't really her fault, though, was it? It wasn't really the time. I guess not. Uh, Colm, you went to a wedding. I did. Did you stay up for the McGregor fight on the same night? Uh, No, I didn't. Uh, Well, I mean, I stayed up that late, but we didn't watch the McGregor fight. Uh, That was presumably around the point at which I was like, I'll do a song. But uh, it was a wonderful wedding, yes. Congratulations to my friend Katie. Congratulations, Katie. Uh, Wonderful setting. Uh, Before you move on from uh, this whole cinema talk, uh, last night... If something was going to push me to tears, it would be the fact that I will never in my life feel the happiness that my girlfriend did watching uh, the latest chapter of the Harry Potter oh. film thing. Fantastic Beasts <laughs> and Where to Find Them, I believe Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I was saying thing because like, it's not quite the Harry Potter franchise. Yeah, it's it's a, the, the Wizarding World or whatever, as they call it. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, ba- basically Nina was happier than I've ever made her and, uh, ever, <laughs> no. ever, and ever will manage to do. So. <laughs> So that's the end of the relationship then? Well, no, it just... Eddie Redmayne wins again. (laughs) (laughs) His reign of terror continues. I can't say I'm a fan of that franchise or spin-off franchise indeed, but I hear it's a bit of fun. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of crap. Well, let's get into something that was the opposite of fun. You may even... (laughs) 
You may have been slick. Won- you may have been wondering. Slick. Compose yourself, Craig. You may have been wondering why in the last episode of No Encore we didn't address the death of Leonard Cohen. It's because uh, that occurred, or at least was announced, hours after the show was recorded last week. So I made a Leonard Cohen reference in the Robbie Williams review that I'll I'll regret for the rest of my life. Uh, Although I was still praising the man indeed. So, Craig, take us through how we all found out about this. Because it it broke at a really odd time. Yeah, I'm still recovering from that segue. (laughs) Uh, It broke kind of in the middle of the night. I was on earlys, as I seem to constantly be these days. I was kind of woke up in a daze... um, Still dark out, just saw it online, and yeah, it was. It, it sounds strange to say unexpected because he was an 82 year old man that had just written an album about debt and had said that, yeah, I'm pretty much ready to die. And I was still like, wait, what? He's dead? Uh, it was a strange one. Um, but yeah, very sad news. Yeah, I did have a little bit of that myself. Um, a big Leonard Cohen fan, but as I say, like he, he, he kind of warned us. Um, in that letter to the original Marianne not so long ago, he kind of said that he wasn't going to be far behind her. And what's more, I, I read a lot of people, obviously, that day when, you know, it's just everybody's writing about it. And I thought Beth Orton came out with an opening line that I certainly connected with. And she said, it was a grief I can process, which was almost the way that I looked at it. That unlike some of the other deaths that, you know, we've seen in the music world and indeed, uh, you know, across the world in this year, um, this one maybe made a little bit more sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess it still hit like a fucking ton of bricks, though, because you were just like, really? Like, really? Another thing, another horrific thing this year? Really? Sure. Okay, great. It, yeah, it does seem as kind of graceful an exit as you could imagine. Completely. Do you know what I mean? And very he seemed very so. in control, and he was, he'd made his peace with it, which makes it, I guess, easier. Adam Cohen's statement about it was actually uh, quite well written. Uh, he said, My sister and I just buried my father in Montreal with only immediate family and a few lifelong friends present. He was lowered into the ground in an unexpected <laughs> Why would you open a beer? As I'm <laughs> you told me that I wasn't allowed to open a beer until we were recording, Dave. <sighs> he was lowered into the ground in an unadorned pine box next to his mother and father, exactly as he'd asked. As I write this, I'm thinking of my father's unique blend of self-deprecation and dignity. Dignity that was robbed by you opening a beer there, Colin. His approachable elegance, his charisma without audacity, his old-world gentlemanliness, and the hand-forged terror of his work. There's so much I wish I could thank him for just one last time. I thank him for the comfort he always provided, for the wisdom he dispensed, for the marathon conversations, for his dazzling wit and humour. I thank him for giving me and teaching me to love Montreal and Greece. And I thank him for her music. First for his music, which seduced me as a boy, then for his encouragement of my own music, and finally for the privilege of being able to make music with him. Thank you for your kind messages, for the outpouring of sympathy, and for your love of my father. And it has been a massive outpouring, as you would expect. And it is kind of one of those things that like, a lot of people have reacted you know, very, very elegantly themselves. There was two excellent pieces on Headstuff Music, one written by Craig Fitzpatrick, about Leonard Cohen. It was a lovely, lovely piece. When I read it first, Craig, I said to you as well, I said in a private message, which I'm now going to share with the listeners. Oh, go for it. <clears throat> I said that when I read it, I felt very sad. And then by the end of it, I smiled. It was it was oh. perfectly bittersweet. And it also concludes with a playlist, by the way, of uh, over two hours of Leonard Cohen's music throughout the era. Uh, handpicked by Craig. So what went into your choices there? Um, well, I'd, initially, I had a playlist that I was just kind of dipping into every week prior to his death anyway. So it was just a kind of chronological thing picking his best tracks from album to album but I kind of just switched it up because just the consistency of his work across the decades meant that you didn't have a kind of you know usually when you see someone's best of it's just like diminishing returns Um, even as his styles changed there was you know the kind of authority of his voice and the themes he touched on even as a kind of younger man in his 30s 
held true and I guess became truer as you face mortality and things like that. So it just seemed like it, it, it was crying out to be mixed up a bit and see the kind of proper breadth of his work. So that's just what I was thinking. It wasn't really too scientific. It was just stuff I, I loved. So yeah, that was it. I listened to Come Healing on repeat that morning as I got ready and... Have to say, not on the playlist, Craig. So you know, nine out of ten for the playlist. No, like it was, it's, about, it's about two hours and twenty minutes. I could, I could have just kept going, but it's like that. Even that was a long playlist for someone just dipping in. I think true enough. And I mean, we've we didn't cover you wanted darker his farewell address mm. on the podcast for I forget I don't know why we just for whatever reason didn't. Uh, so we've all kind of been catching up on it this week in you know kind of in the wake of the news. So Dave Higgins, what's your take on it? Um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really digging it, and I think that what you were saying about Craig's piece—that you started sad and kind of ended up feeling happy—there's like an element of that. Uh, listening to you want it darker, it's kind of, it's very rare that an artist can kind of call their final shot on what they do. Uh, I think you'd mentioned in uh, your piece about the David Remnick piece in the New Yorker, where yeah. he was talking to Leonard Cohen. And one of the things he said that putting your house in order, if you can do it, is one of the most comforting activities. Um, and I kind of feel like this album was that it was kind of him just crossing the T's and getting everything kind of sorted for himself. Yeah, but doing so in a very you know Leonard Cohen kind of way. I I, I think it's a wonderful record. I, I like the brevity of it uh, in particular, and I think it's just really kind of it's just a really really good statement. I mean, it is it's difficult to listen to in certain respects because it's very frank. But at the same time, when you come to the end of it, there's just such a sense of acceptance and a sense of almost kind of like celebration for the life that he's led. Uh, it's not faint praise to say that he went out on an incredibly high note he definitely did Cullum as well it's kind of reflective of I guess the last sort of you know 8-10 years of his life where I think when he went back on stage when he went back on tour and luckily we got a chance to see it in Ireland a lot I think I'd already played like 10 or 12 shows here over, over the course of kind of 4 or 5 years and I was lucky enough to be there for 2 of them incredible performances but it, it very much was the case that you know he heard so much about his financial troubles and obviously you know he'd spent a while out of the spotlight like I say 15 years without playing a gig he spent five of those in a monastery in LA like neither sight nor sound and you know seeing him back there and I guess still his enigmatic self in one way but also a very very human very charming very funny very entertaining and uh yeah very true individual um yeah, probably gave people a better sense of who he was um, in the latter stages of his career, I feel. Yeah, very much so. Um, and, you know, it's that thing of, like, there's a kind of tone of resignation about the album, but it's it's like a victorious resignation. He, It's kind of, it's quite comforting. I mean, he's dealing very, with very scary stuff, but as opposed to maybe Johnny Cash's later day work or Bowie's album, I suppose, towards the start of the year where it still seemed like this faraway thing of like mortality and you know approaching this vast you know thing you can't even comprehend well Leonard just seemed much more kind of grounded and based in reality and he was as much telling himself that everything was kind of fine and things work out the way, way they are as the listener so yeah it was it's a c- difficult but mostly comforting listen which is strange Josh, where does Leonard Cohen rank in your pantheon of artists? <laughs> I thought you were going to ask him for his pantheon of Canadians. Oh, I should have done that. Oh, yeah, so some people just were below like, Drake. Louise Mensch was like, you know, oh, Leonard Cohen's passing shows us just how dignified Americans can really be. Showing us how fucking dumb Louise Mensch can really be. But no, Josh. Um, I was kind of struck by it, actually, because in the statement, it's like teaching me how to love uh, Montreal. 
Um, or Montreal, as it's Because <laughs> it's a kind of a shithole, so you'd have to be taught to love Montreal. Expand <laughs> on that point, won't you, for our Canadian listeners? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm curious to this. Is Montreal the nicest place and I've lived in Vancouver that I've ever been in Canada? Really? Yeah, I've been there a day. It was lovely. Um, well, you were probably in old Montreal, for the most part. Uh, <laughs> Montreal's earlier work was much better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Was um, so there's Montreal is like broken up into like there's like old Montreal, which is like the bit that like the French built, and it has really nice architecture, and it's along the river, and it's really really nice. The rest of it is is horrific. It's just this grey, like it could be like part of the Soviet bloc. Like <laughs> when you're coming near, it's just these all this like. I'm sorry, I'm I'm like having a real go here at oh, a whole city. Please, <laughs> you're never going back to that country. <laughs> a literal international incident here. Um, <laughs> In in terms of like my sort of top artists, I suppose I probably wouldn't know enough of his back catalog. Would you come above Drake? Would you? Uh, no. Well, now in terms of Canadian artists, I have to say Drizzy has has done more in, in recent years, at more the very least, <laughs> more more culturally relevant, you might say, uh, than Leonard. You're not going to find Leonard Cohen lint rolling his pants at a game. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly, Dave. I'm thinking it's the nail on the head Jake's there. a man of the people is what you're saying. He is. Whereas... You actually might have, though, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> a funny thing about that, that, that piece in New Yorker as well is that he said that he used to work in a clothes factory, so yeah. he always knew how to fold his clothes. So whenever he performed on stage, no creases, always immaculate his suits. So there, there you go. go. See? Yeah. I bet he didn't, you know, fucking kowtow to whatever city he was in with a different basketball but nonetheless, not. what did you think of this album? Uh, I thought it was really good. And the point that I was sort of going to raise was thematically and sort of situationally even how similar it was to the Bowie record. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was two artists and two like giant kind of artists literally writing about their impending sort of death, which is a sort of unique situation in terms of like the history of this kind of level of artist. Um, I will say that I kind of didn't find it as comforting as maybe the rest of the table found. In particular, uh, You Want It Darker is sort of saying that, like, if God's the dealer, well, then he's he doesn't want to be a part of the game, um, which is sort of a real sort of terrifying statement. Like, he doesn't want to be involved with life, like, if God's the dealer. like. Um, but overall, I thought it was a great album, but it's, I, there's, there's, I found it to be less comforting, I guess. Than I think one thing that maybe gave the comfort is that, you know, when he makes a statement like that, it does actually sound like he's he's figured it out, as it were. And I, I think, you yeah. know, as well, that kind of goes back to, you know, when he came back from a break from recording music, from a break from playing live music and kind of resumed a, sort of a second chapter in his career. There's almost a feeling now as though, like, you know, there wasn't a stone left unturned in the Leonard Cohen story. Yeah. That, you know, if that had been it, if he'd gone into that Buddhist retreat and that was the end of Leonard Cohen, then we would definitely be sitting here looking at a collection of records from the 70s and 80s going, gosh, what might have been. Sure. Whereas, you know, I think we kind of got a second chapter, as it were, kind of a second coming and, and bonus Cohen. <laughs> Almost in in a way, you know, um, <laughs> through nefarious means when he was when he was made bankrupt by well, the, yeah, well, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, unfortunate circumstances to bring it about, but I mean, anybody who was like I say, I mean, those gigs were you in Kilmaine and Craig? Yeah, was, yeah. yeah. yeah was that was else. that was insane. The only way that I can describe it to people is uh, remember that scene from Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory where he comes out and he's like the feeble old man on a stick he and he looks roll. like he's about to collapse and then it's a forward roll. Yeah, that was Cohen that night. Yeah. He came out 70 odd <laughs> years old and you were thinking, what are we in store for here? 
and about half an hour later he's got like you know doffing his cat and his back cap and his backing singers and like you know shaking his hips to the crowd and you're just like <laughs> holy shit this is awesome yeah I deeply, deeply regret not going to see him live. I had many opportunities and I just didn't go. And anyone I know who's been has said it was like a religious experience. So uh, that's a shame. But what can you do? Nothing. He's dead. (laughs) Let's move on. We'll move on uh, to more alive artists. That's a terrible segue. I can't do that. That's awful. (laughs) Move on to one man who is very much uh, kind of, you know, carrying the ball on his own terms as well. And someone who wouldn't want to have any posthumous releases come out should he drop dead uh frank ocean you know big fan of frank ocean at the entire table i believe yeah, yeah? yes we're all, indeed. We're all, we're all on board uh, he's given a rare interview uh, his first proper interview since the release of endless and blonde with the new york times the new york times gets fucking everybody yeah the hell it's where they're big newspapers what are the times doing i don't know so yeah frank has uh, spoken about a myriad of subjects and he's kind of reaffirmed his the confidence that we believe that he has and kind of says that he thinks he's the best at what he does and you know he talked about the grammy situation where he withheld his album he said he did it on purpose said that he'd rather this be his Colin Kaepernick moment for the Grammys than sit there in the audience. Kaepernick. I knew I pronounced that wrong, <laughs> and I'm glad that my American sports looking <laughs> fans were Well, that's why I'm the American sports enthusiast. Why, do you that's take why the, you guys bring me here. Why don't you take the rest of this fucking news story, Dave? Yeah? yeah? Um, no, he's not going to. I'm going to do it. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's Frank being fairly cagey, but also being open at the same time in his. It's kind of Frank being Frank. It's Frank really, being Frank. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, I don't know. I want to ask you guys if this is what a Frank Ocean interview looks like. Are you guys kind of happy enough to just let it be and not have to hear from him? Yeah, I, 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 I know. I, that's the sense I got. I mean, it's a really well-written piece. By the end of it, I was just kind of thinking, did they speak for about seven minutes? What I remembered about... There were some good quotes, but there was very little substance, really. Or you don't get to the essence of them whatsoever. Yeah, mm. and what's more, it just makes what we kind of thought about him just seem stunningly mundane and thought out or something like yeah, that. You know, when yeah. it's just written down in black and white. What I was reminded of is, you know those people who are obsessed with seeing Daft Punk without their helmets? And it's just like, well, this is going to add nothing to your enjoyment, and it could well take away from it. So why do you bother? Yeah, and that's kind of almost how I felt about this. Because yeah, you know, I mean, like we knew that Frank felt a bit disillusioned with the industry. We knew that he likes to go away and do things very much on his own terms. We guessed, though we didn't know for a fact, that it was kind of talking to old friends and stuff that had stirred up some of the emotions that fueled Blonde. We knew really that the release of Endless was a kind of a trick to get out of his last record sure. contract. And then, yeah, we just had the New York Times tell us. But again, in, a, in an era in which there's no mystery, I'm happy to have some mystery. I mean, even like, you know, the takeaway quotes aren't that impressive. It's like, you know, he talks about singing in multiple voices. And he's like, sometimes I felt like you weren't hearing enough versions of me within a song because there was a lot of hyperactive thinking. Even though the pace of the album is not frenetic, the pace of ideas being thrown out is. Mm. So it's like, fair enough. I guess that makes sense. Um, but I, I do like the thing where he says, you know, he always carries his hard drives with him on planes. He said, yeah, that, that is mm, good. That was yeah. really yeah. I'd rather the plane goes down in flames and the drives go down with me than somebody put out a weird posthumous release. Which uh, again, goes, I can understand that. Go like goes some way to his level of control, and yeah, I mean, ultimately, I mean, he, well, Leonard Cohen, I don't really want any new music now. I, I think that's a great full stop, yep. and I don't want to hear. You know, we found twenty-seven new songs. Yeah, I agree. That stuff's true. always kind of weird, but um, yeah, I mean, we're gonna be doing our albums of the year or al- and our songs of the year very, very soon on No Encore, and you know. I'm not going to give away anything that I haven't already given away on Twitter, but Blonde is up there. Yeah, it is. And and as well, he's done himself uh, no harm by using the word lanyap. 
I love that word. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was great. Absolutely fantastic. Well uh, done, Frank. The one takeaway from the interview seemed to be that like we could be waiting a, an even longer while for the next release because he seems very much to be, you know, I'm the best at music, so I might just move on. And he goes, um, yeah, I don't really need to think in terms of albums anymore. I can do it whatever way I want to do. Yeah. But I also like the bit where like uh, there was a thing about how Zane Lowe apparently has interviewed him. Mm. And he was like, you know, me and Frank are friends. And he, go, he, he goes, we're such good friends. I can just hop on FaceTime and chat to him. And it was like, this is desperate. And he said that uh, he goes, Frank called me up one day and was like, get on a plane, come out, do the interview. And he's like, I just did it. I just winged it. You know, it was great. Off to Tokyo, wasn't it? And then he was like, yeah. And then he was like, uh, I don't know when it's going to come out or if it is going to come out. And it was like, Zane Lowe. <laughs> You don't come across cool here, man. You missed a trick there. You don't come across good, man. Um, but yeah, so Colm, in legal news... <laughs> in legal news... It's like, going to be a regular segment. Yeah, and, and over to the man who used to date a lawyer, Colm Morgan. Um, <laughs> no, I, I was actually going to say, in, in, when you mentioned posthumous releases, um, they're very much causing problems uh, as far as Prince and his estate is concerned. They signed a, a deal with Universal that would kind of give them full uh, publishing rights for his music um, both pre-released and, and what's to come and they're now suing uh, Rock Nation saying that Tidal have been illegally streaming the late musician's catalogue uh, they signed a, a kind of an ag- exclusive thing for uh, his Hit and Run Phase 1 LP um, but then added a load more uh, after his death and yeah that is the subject of this suit I mean this isn't the first time that we've heard stuff about Prince's estate yeah. and Prince's music rights being debated over the past couple of months. It's almost definitely not going to be the last. It's just a bit sad, really, isn't it? It is. It's more bad news for Tidal and bad publicity. But Will you be a character witness for Tidal? <laughs> sure. My time with Tidal was grand. It was great. Um, this isn't a deposition now. <laughs> oh, okay. This isn't, is this on the record? No. If you publish this? I, can, eh, I don't know. <laughs> well, um, if Rock Nation's listening. But this know. is all over kind of 15 lesser known Prince albums. So probably not a lot of people were looking for anyway. So you're not really talking about huge amounts of cash or even... I don't know. It's probably tied up in this universal deal, obviously. But it's interesting because Prince was such an outspoken fan of Tidal. Um, he was very much, you know, on board with that sentiment that Tidal was a service that was run by artists for kind of artists and was giving a bit of power back to artists. So I don't know if he'd be in agreement with this kind of, you know, what is an estate going after him because he, he seemed to be a big kind of cheerleader for Which him. is an amazing turnaround from someone who once declared that the internet was dead yeah. and gave away copies of his album with the Daily Mail. Yeah, so... Because um, print is alive and well. But it does seem like his estate isn't really acting the way Prince might have acted. Well, the estate situation, like, I mean, it looks pretty grim when you kind of read that the legal battle over the rights to his catalogue. Courts are still narrowing down the musician's legal errors, which to me just, like, speaks of boardrooms and people who are, like, you know, trying to get a pound of flesh. And that's not what you really want to remember yeah. Prince like, but like, it must be an absolute nightmare. The, the kind of interest- Paisley Park is already a fucking theme park type yeah, museum situation. Yeah, it's like, like the new Graceland. The interesting thing is for a guy that was so obsessed with controlling his music and his image and stuff like that, and, you know, a vocal kind of outspoken person against the record industry he didn't have like a proper will he had no kind of plans put in place to take care of this after he passed I guess people don't like to think about their own demise which is understandable but it's it just seems like such a mess and not something you would have wanted no and something that Father John Misty didn't want was when an American Idol is it, or X Factor The Voice The Voice The Voice, the voice. The voice man. The moved on to The Voice could have kept going man <laughs> Like, I dropped a Fame Academy. Fame Academy, yeah, 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 that's the thing about, a, yeah. You're a star. You're a star. Pop stars are rivals. Basically, a meaningless pop competition to get judges over more than get the actual new next voices over. Uh, some guy called Aaron Gibson did a cover of uh, Father John Mrs. on that we all like called Hollywood Forever Cemetery Sings. Let's have a listen to the original by Father John Misty. Well, I- 
Okay, great song. Let's have a listen to Aaron Gibson's version. Jesus Christ, girl. What are people gonna think when I show up to one of several funerals? I've attended for Grandpa this way with you, with me. Someone's gotta help me, So what do we think? Now you see, I saw Father John Misty's reaction to this, where he opened with "Why, no, I asked God, you. why?" <laughs> Stick to the point. Basically, <laughs> I was expecting an abomination. I was thinking that he turned it into a synth pop number or something like that. I mean, she sounds kind of good. Yeah, that sounds better. I mean, like it's grand. I it's, mean, it's it's, it's a low rent cover, but it's perfectly possible. Yeah, kind of just yeah. Hold on, like I I thought like because I was like about to speak because Colin was about to speak, <laughs> and I was like, oh, he's he's making my point, which is when I read Father John's statement, I was like, Jesus, he's clearly overreacting. But then I heard it, and it's like he's clearly not. It's the worst thing I've ever heard. Really? Oh. Yeah. It, he's absolutely. Destroyed I mean, there's it. no reason for it to exist, but I don't think it's offensive oh. as those shows go. I mean, it just sounds like a shitty Dave Matthews, really, doesn't it? Yeah, and spiced with kind of Creed. Um, well, yeah, no, well, no, it couldn't be Creed in there. <laughs> well, no, if it was Creed, hang on. The first line is "Jesus Christ, girl." If it was Creed, it would have been "My Lord and Savior, <laughs> Jesus Christ, girl." Bonus pop quiz that references my bad teenage CD collection. How many Creed albums did I own? Three. If you own more than just Human Clay. <laughs> I don't even know anymore. No, you had weathered as well. Craig said three. I'm going to go two. Two. Well, I'm going to think three now. And the winner is Craig. Wow. Nailed it. More (laughs) than just human clay should be the pod title, by the way. My own prison, human clay, and weathered. Jesus. Good God. It's a dark time for you, man. I had human clay, by the way. I actually think. And I had weathered, so there you go. Scott Stapp might have done a good job of Hollywood. (laughs) 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 I'd be interested to hear that. Would you, though? Yeah. <laughs> See? Yeah, well, I finally got him back on the internet because he's been, he, you know, he. he, he ran oh, apologies, I missed yeah, you. Yeah. Scott Stapp. I was like, what? <laughs> like, well, last week he's in he filmed a sex video with Kid Rock. No one needs that. Wait, what? I don't hear about that. No, I didn't hear sure, about that. I'm pretty Can sure. we put this as a post pod sidebar? I'm pretty sure that this is all, all good, Alan. If not. Get the bleep out. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get sued by Scott. Imagine getting a legal writ from Scott Stapp. From the estate of Scott Stapp and Kid Rock of Creed and being awful fame. And on the chances that we don't uh, get sued or believe that this is dodgy legal territory, it sounded like this. The sex tape? No, of course not. <laughs> I, didn't know that was referencing. I think we can move on to things that are actually well, well, reasonable wait, 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 to before listen we to. Do, before we do, yes, as Craig says, Father John, I, I like Father John ridiculous statement. Uh, he had a change of heart after leaking the Facebook post where he was giving out about it, and he put up a, a couple of Facebook posts, and he said, uh, I'm happy for anyone to sing any of my songs, and it's more important now than ever that we not be apathetic about who we vote on for a game show. He said, we must uphold the dignity of the American democratic process, no matter how little we like the performers therein. What do you think he's referring to? I don't think there's any subtext whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Not loaded at all. Um, problematic, Father John Misty, for a lot of people. I'm a fan. 
I'm a massive fan. Uh, I don't think this is the battle he needs to be avoiding. No. no. You know. I think it was. <laughs> <laughs> Josh is truly appalled by this. I was extremely upset by this cover. From one to Joshua to another. Evidently. Well, <laughs> let's see if we can find something a little more palatable right. uh, amongst our songs of the week. We're going to go random number game, I think. Oh. So who wants to go first? I will. Oh. I'm going to pick number three, Dave. I was going to go for three. Well, then uh, you didn't need to go, did you? Okay. Uh, number three is a song that I was reticent to get into this week due to the Conor McGregor artwork that accompanied it. This is Mango. He's from Dublin. It's called What Are You Saying? Now, what are you saying? Lads track about trends I don't care to build. Clap tracks used to wear the mail. And the one of the best dress rapper in the city you should see what the fuck Mango was wearing now. No, no comparing now. My new tunes, your clues blaring now. They boy my style and they ride my hype because I get Dublin crowns larry now. Fuck a rap, I'll tear it down. Big man DM, you wear the belts. Just pull up and stare them down. With a smile on my channel like I dare the clown. You're like the wordy now. What am I scared of now? Was I getting that boy before? I think you lot are bigger than a truck, you're the fairy hill. Better watch that lip. Like, what are you saying? Wanna talk that shit? Like, what are you saying? All right, Cullen, you jumped the gun here. So, why don't you take us away? Yeah, so this is Mango. He was um, part of a collective up until uh, not so long ago, uh, now branching out on his own. I, I know Mathman actually produced this and he's done some very good stuff uh, Hypnotic Brass Ensemble recently where he actually had them doing vocals and it was pretty good um, yeah the beat with, of this is good it's, substance wise uh, it, it's lacking a little for me um, I think it sounds like any kind of random rap song um, like it draws a lot from the sounds of other countries mm-hmm. um, I think it sounds a lot like it could have come from Britain or it has elements of kind of trap music about it. Um, and then kind of in terms of the content of it, there's nothing especially sort of Irish about it, which is one of the things that I've always found kind of quite disappointing about the Irish rap scene. And the only thing that's recognizably Irish about it is his accent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would like to see more Irish rappers kind of bring him out more of originality. That said, I think this is, is perfectly listenable. Yeah, I think this is fine. I mean, I think, you know, in terms of we had a grime track on recently, and I think, you know, this is kind of skirting a similar kind of vibe, and I think this is much better than the Section section Boys, was that what we yeah. had? Uh, with Skepta. Uh, yeah, this is fine. Uh, I quite like it. I think he, I think the production's good. I quite like it more when it goes into more kind of, not so much dancey vibe, but there's like a kind of a good synth thing going on towards the end. I think the use of a silenced pistol for percussion is a bit played out. <laughs> oh man, wasn't really into that so much, but no, it's perfectly fine. Like it's done fairly well, it charted fairly well, and I mean, I'll be looking forward to see what he does next. But yeah, like it's I'm thumbs in the middle, really, for me. What do we think of the Adidas zip up that he's wearing? I like in the it. Video? It's great. I like, like it a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and apparently yeah. He's, he's obsessed with Adidas. He notes that he's like the best dressed rapper in Dublin. And, yeah. you know, to be yeah. fair, you know, yeah, he's... I'm ready to give him that crown. I think he's got style. I, be- sure. I believe his Twitter bio says that he rhymes to pay for his Adidas, so... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a slick zip-up hoodie. You're not into Josh, no? Josh is very satorially snobbish. <laughs> I feel like I should point out. Josh is a Josh believes that there's a certain way that everyone should look. <laughs> well, Jesus. So I don't mean like that. I mean, like, in terms of... <laughs> Good cr- Lord. In terms of... In terms of clothing That's and... A, Josh's right middle names are Hugh though, and Genix. <laughs> threads. I meant threads. 
I believe the sentence oh. we're looking for is that someone sh- everybody should dress a certain way, that's not that yeah. everybody should look a certain <laughs> way. That's what I meant, yeah. <laughs> I quite dig this, actually. Um, yeah, I really like the, the production by Mathman. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the first, uh, some of the sections of the first ASAP Ferg album, Trap Lord. Um, I think he's got a really good flow. Um, I agree with you. I do kind of wish that it wasn't just the kind of stock braggadocious rhyme, even though I do think he's quite good in that. Uh I kind of wish that it kind of folded a little bit more to bring you into something that is Irish, although there's some, some good lines in it. I'm a big fan of Big Man. DM your whereabouts. It's going to be my new threat for just about everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that is good, idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's perfectly fine. I think the production's the best thing about it, really. I mean, you know, as you guys were saying, it's just a little cliched. And I didn't know about the artwork, but yeah, it d- I was thinking, listening to it, this sounds like probably what the inside of Conor McGregor's head sounds like. And that's not necessarily a good thing for me. Um, that plus lots of air horns, yeah, I would say. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're still waiting for that kind of very unique, I think, Dublin voice in hip-hop. Um, because, as Josh says, they're taking so many cues from across the Atlantic and this isn't really it even if he sounds kind of a bit like a young Ronnie Drew it's just the voice and there's nothing there's no real kind of slant on life that's you know well as you know vague Conor McGregor tie-ins go it's a damn sight better than that fucking original Rude Boys thing from a couple of years ago <laughs> uh, may they rest in peace um, okay who's, ne- who's next Josh pick a number uh, four all right, uh, this marks our third week in a row with a bit of a straight-up no-frills rock-out song. This is Pissed Jeans. The bar is low. Yeah, I tend to avoid bands with terrible monikers, and... this you interviewed is, Holy Fuck the other week. That's not a terrible moniker. All right. It's not great. It's better than this. Bit try hard. Better than this. I'm hammered. It up. is. It is better than history. <laughs> uh, the point is, right, the point <laughs> Listen, the point is, right... Uh, we had Japan Droids, I and mean, we had Lost Campesinos in uh, successive <sighs> weeks there. This kind of goes into a similar furrow for me. A bit more raw, though. I really like this. I think this is fucking great. It had me pretty much from the off when that guitar came in. Uh, I think it's really raw and fun. I think it's, you know, it, it's you know the kind of song you'd expect a, a bar brawl to break out around you. And hopefully you wouldn't get hit by a flying bottle. Yeah. But I really enjoyed it. I, I think this is great. And, and and it's classic fucking sub pop as well. Like, it's very perfectly in with that label. And it's a thumbs up from me. Yeah, um, I'm, I mean, I haven't really kept up to speed with what sub pop are doing. So it seems like they're really flying the flag for them, uh, certainly in terms of what I've heard. Um, it is that classic sound. If it sounds a little dated now, I don't know. Um, but yeah, like a great fun band. It's kind of, you know, it appeals to your lizard brain a bit. Um, and I do think Mark Corvette is probably the the standout element because there's not a huge amount going on in this song. You wouldn't say they're doing anything particularly original or new. No, but, but we he's talk a kind of charismatic the, dude. We, we talk about how like there's no good guitar bands around anymore. But yeah, this it's is just like this direct is direct to the point. It's enjoyable. It. I, no. I don't think like the switch up around two minutes in. I don't think it quite pays off the way maybe it could have. Um, yeah, or indeed in terms the way of the that hook. I think they maybe imagined that it was going to. Yes, because it, it, before that it. It is monotonous for me. I wasn't a huge fan. It, it's funny you should mention that the second the guitar comes in, it had you. It kind of had me too. And I was like, you know, 
all right, let's go here. And then it never really went anywhere. It felt like a hives riff that never actually kind of came to fruition, as it sure, were, yeah. that, that just chugged along in, in, in these kind of monotonous circles. Not very impressive to me, Dave. Yeah, I remember them being a, a couple of years ago when they brought out Honeys being kind of, there was a bit of buzz about that. And yeah. there was always one of those records that I just never really got around to. And after listening to this, like, yeah, like it's good to hear... <laughs> A guitar band and like there's Dave with the Haribo in the middle of the podcast. (laughs) Super mixed for everybody. What's more, we're about (laughs) seventy seconds from another clip, and you were like, I just couldn't. I did it off mic. I brought sweets for everybody. (laughs) Help yourself. And this is the thanks you get. Sorry, Dave. Continue, please. Yeah. So yeah, not really doing it for me. It kind of it reminds me of a a not very good at all McCluskey. Uh, McCluskey being great, but um. Yeah, the best thing I've seen about them so far is their uh, their promo shots where they they took them in front of the Kurt Vile mural in Philadelphia. <laughs> so that's, that's yeah. I'll pretty much kind of go along with everybody else. I'm kind of in the middle. I like the kind of strip back sort of sub pop sounds. Like the guitar, but then I agree with Cullum that it doesn't really sort of go anywhere. Um, it's like a it's like a fun fun single, but wouldn't yeah, be. yeah, enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, Craig, it's your turn for a number. And would you like a sweet? Uh, no, I'm fine, thanks. And I'm going to go for number five. All right. Um, fitting that I'm chewing on a sweet here because this is sugar bulk <laughs> pop. I don't even know what to say. So uh, professional. He's lost the run, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. It is sugar pop at its best. At its best? Or its worst. We'll, we'll it's find Noah out. Cyrus along with Labyrinth. And it's called Make Me Cry. That wasn't me suddenly running out of breath introducing that song. Uh, the cry is in parenthesis. Uh, it, it, it's make me cry. Who's Noah cry. Cyrus? What's he about? Uh, Noah Cyrus is, in fact, a lady. Oh, right. And it's Miley Cyrus' sister. Get out of town. 16-year-old sister. Who Ready to launch a pop career. Yeah, uh, which was literally uh, announced hours before the single was shared. Yeah. Um, God knows where they found the time to record it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is her first single. Um, I mean, to borrow a gag from Entourage, is she going to have to sit with Don Swayze and Joey Travolta and the other retarded star siblings? <laughs> I mean, she could be like Danny to Miley's Kylie Minogue, couldn't she? Yeah. I don't know. Probably not on, well, actually, maybe on the basis of this track, because it's very of the moment, isn't it? It's actually hooky enough, like it's well written, but the production is just crap. The Garbage. thing is, I'm not yeah. sure just what moment it is, because like I can remember Labyrinth doing a song with Emily Sanday, like this clear four years ago now I'd say yeah is it you're beautiful or inside you're beautiful it had a a massive hit yeah so maybe it's a 2012 that's all I can really remember about it but yeah it it, it sounded exactly like this 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 is his trick and clearly it's why he's been brought in as the kind of crutch on which she she can uh, promote herself straight off the bat she's trying really hard to sound like Lana Del Rey I thought like a cross between Lana Del Rey and Molly Cyrus Um, that said I mean I think it's it's like a fun enough song it's not it's not as Based on the the lineup going in, it's not as bad as I was expecting. 
It's good. It's fine. It's kind of pop song that gets kind of overblown immediately by some corners of the music press. Uh, it's enjoyable. It's a good first start. I don't like the use of a teardrop sound effect. <laughs> and it's not a teardrop. It's, it's a water drop. Okay, yeah, it's like a leaky yeah. top. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I don't like the the use of that. I like to kind of punctuate the end of the chorus of the verse thing. I, I think that's a bit cheap and also kind of annoying on the ear. It's fine. I mean, as a first pop song by you know clearly trying to make. You know, another, another behemoth from the Billy Ray Cyrus production line, aka his the children, the <laughs> Billy Ray <laughs> Cyrus kids. Uh, it's grand. It didn't grab me. I saw a lot of people raving about it, and I was kind of left a, bit, a little bit shrug emoji by the end of it. I think it's like a good vocal performance. Like I was very impressed that she's only sixteen, and I think that going forward, that there is something there. But as you said, the production on it is just utter garbage. Like I'll add to your water drops with that kind of faux air horn that sounds like a really really awful attempt at the blood of the le- blood on the leaves towards yeah, the end of it it's good. just yeah, yeah. not it's working at all we like real air horns in this podcast yeah it's quite try hard <laughs> and she's been working with max martin as well i believe so it's just going to be okay who are the people we can get in to make these hits and us, do we really need this what do we reckon more max anonymous? martin charges and uh, like you know per hour no 15 idea, quid at least <laughs> <laughs> living wage yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, if Max Martin's on board, she'll have at least one big hit, I would suspect, because he's kind of good at that thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. we got two songs left. Who hasn't picked a number yet? Josh. No, I did. Oh, Josh did. Yeah. Dave, sorry. sorry. I'm sorry, uh, Dave. <laughs> I apologize. Number one. Okay. Uh, this is Soul Wax with Transient Program for Drums and Machinery. off the tongue that one uh, eight minutes long it's a bit of a belter Dave Higgins it is so good to have Soul Wax back um, <laughs> I think one of the worst things that ever happened was is the success of too many DJs just because you know back when they made much against everyone's advice we always talk about a lack of good rock bands around like you'll be hard pushed to find a better rock record than that in like the last 15-20 years but then they kind of had the success doing remixes and then suddenly it just seemed like that they couldn't be anything but an electronic act I know this is again in the electronic arena, but um, yeah, it's just it's just fantastic. It's got like such a good momentum building. It kind of feels like a first track in the kind of vein of Get Innocuous. Yes, um, very much so. So if this is what's to come, I'm very excited for it. And fucking, they're going to be bringing three drummers out on tour. Yeah, one With of the them big being man Igor Cavalera of Sepultura fame, <laughs> the best metal drummer. Oof. Best name for a metal drummer at the very least. <laughs> ah, come on, lads, Lars. <laughs> we'll be talking about him in a minute. <laughs> I don't know, Big Eeyore. He's the best metal drummer I've ever watched live. Really? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, this is great. And it kind of starts off, like, it, it's it's that build and that you're kind of like, okay, you know, this is this is fine. You mentioned getting knockers. I've heard this before. But when it clicks in and it gets going, those last three minutes or so. Yeah, are... it's about three and a half minutes before this really gets going. And before that, I'd been really sceptical because thematically it was going a bit Pet Shop Boys Sad Robot World again (laughs) (laughs) lest we forget forgot about that actually and more to the point and I don't want to sound like 
true detective here, but like he, he, <laughs> literally the flat time, you know, when he sings time, just like that semitone yes, yeah. off. That bugged the hell out of me <laughs> for the first minute and a half of this song. I literally couldn't hear anything else other than waiting for him to go, time. And you're like, no, 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 no. You missed that one. Go back, go back. Yeah. But then, yeah, they, they they turned it around. There is a kind of craft working element to this. And yeah, it does start off, it seems a bit linear or something. Like it might be a bit flat, but it has this great momentum. And it really, really does pay off. Uh, unlike, say, the, the Piss Jean song. This is just, you know, by the end, you're like, yes, this is a proper belter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would echo Dave's comments that, you know, it's great to have them back. I mean, it's they've been around, but they haven't been doing soul wax. It's been over a decade, I guess, since we had proper material from them. Um, and just, yeah, I mean, I love Too Many DJs Live, but um, it's great to have soul wax back. Listening to it for the first time, it reminded me of listening to like Dance Yourself Clean for the first time in terms of that kind of sitting around kind of being like, oh, where is this going? Yeah. And then it's sort of kicking in and be like, oh, OK, this is where it was going. This is deadly. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a home run and I hope they play Dublin. I presume that they will. Uh, one band who are playing Dublin for the final ever time on the 18th of December are Enemies, a band that have been around for several years now. And this is their last ever single off their upcoming last ever album. It's called Glow, and it features Louise Gaffney of Come On Live Long on vocals, and it sounds a bit like this. taken from Valuables which comes out on the 9th of December uh, 9th of December is a very interesting day for Irish music because this comes out Fight Like Apes played their last ever show in Dublin and Overhead the Albatross headline Vicar Street so kind of a you know bittersweet day really for a lot of people yeah. uh, this album documents a turbulent time for the band intensive writing recording and touring coupled with a lack of shared vision which led to a decision uh, that harmony and ending is ultimately more valuable than discord and continuing so yeah, very interesting. Before we get to the song, I mean, like, Enemies, Round the Horn, I, th- I thought they were a really, really good band. I thought the second album in particular, Embark and Brace, was excellent. Uh, however, we have seen a lot of bands kind of fall by the wayside, bands like Enemies, bands like Halves, you know, bands that kind of, you know, challenge the listener and don't just give you, you know, radio-friendly, you know, A, B, C choruses. I guess it makes sense that they're wrapping up, and I don't mean that in any kind of, you know, disparaging way. Yeah. Kind of gone as far as they can go, I guess. It's a tough, like, post-rock is a tough uh, gig to kind of keep going in. Like, when you look at post-rock bands that have had some manner of success from Ireland, you kind of look to, and so I watch them afar, probably up mm. there, but their success was the fact that they never stopped touring, yeah. which has got to be intensely difficult to do. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Enemies, I think, were one of the best, and the, the first record... Uh, we've been talking mm. I think it was like probably one of the better Richter records like not better because they were all quite good but I think underappreciated kind of Adebisi always kind of got the, the hype yeah Um, but I think their guitar tones on that are just absolutely gorgeous and this song is like a really kind of interesting departure for them it kind of has like a real dream pop vibe to it that it I does, just wasn't yeah. expecting yeah. at all uh, and for them to kind of go in a completely different direction on their last record I think is a really interesting thing to do very admirable and it's a lovely lovely song again like it's it's not kind of it doesn't have that signature enemies kind of you mentioned like even their signature guitar sound there and that's fine for them I mean you want the last record to be a little bit different and not just be more of the same 
and yeah it's a shame that they're winding down but like with bands like them bands like ABC I do feel like they can only go so far and we saw ABC obviously split off into All Twins which is a much more commercial outfit and though we weren't particularly enamoured by that record you know they did sell out the Olympia they are making money and you can't begrudge any Irish act to want to go make a living in a different capacity uh, Craig, you're, I know you're a fan. I am a fan, yeah. Uh, particularly if we've been talking, I think, as Dave says, that it's just so underrated. And I think it's it's one of the best records, Irish records of the last decade, maybe. It's just a gorgeous sounding record. They've always had that beautiful kind of sonic palette. And again, this is, this you know, while it's a departure, it's tr- true to that kind of great taste they've always had. I mean, it just sounds beautiful. Um, and when they talk about like the being harmonious and ending, it does sound like a very harmonious song. Um I don't know if it's quite, like, it's it's too indelible. I don't know if it really stamps its kind of, or makes its mark in any great way. Um, but certainly when you're listening to it, it's, it's it's a lovely listen. I think as a teaser for the overall record sure. that we know is coming, like, they could have really put out anything. And I don't mean, again, to, like, dismiss this track or anything, but ultimately I think it's a case of, you know, like, they probably feel that they can finally just play it safe now and do whatever the hell they want. You know? Yeah, yeah. To totally. an extent, yeah. I think as well, though, if it, well, we know it is their last single. Uh, I don't know where it sits on the album, but if it even were to be a closing track, um, then you know, I think it's it's quite suitable for that, really. Sure. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed it. Well, let's get into a band, uh, which, you know, again, we talk about bands who could have wrapped it up at some point. Some bands have crazy longevity. Metallica. Now, when Metallica announced this record was coming out on the podcast a few months ago, how we laughed. How we laughed. It was called Hardwired Self Destruct. It had album or sorry, song titles like Am I Savage? Yeah. Uh, Confusion. Man Unkind. Here comes revenge. Murder one. Spit out the bone. <laughs> there was going to be a deluxe edition that had a third disc of uh, Riff Origins. Sounds dreadful. Okay. So yeah, how we laugh then? How we laugh now? Let's have a quick listen, and we'll come back in in just a moment. So that's Moth into Flame, and we'll get into that song in a moment, but for now, is the joke on us, lads? I don't know. I mean, I must say that there were some very encouraging signs from the singles that we heard. We did think that, yeah, we'd kind of maybe got it wrong. Listening to the album, though, it sounds like a band past their peak trying in vain to recapture former glories, for me. I think they recapture former glories in parts. Um, And the interesting thing with this is, they've come so close to making what I think is a very very good record and then they've gone with two discs it's kind of like the album title where it's hardwired to self-destruct no just stick to maybe hardwired that would be grand you know you're getting back to your roots you're being a bit edgy but no they always go too far (laughs) Metallica Um, but if they had to just put out disc one you would have been like they're back Mm. Um, disc two becomes quite self-indulgent all the tracks well sorry title track aside most of them go way past the five minute mark um, and because it's trash metal, I mean, it can be quite monotonous at times when they just get into a groove. So there are long passages where not too much bloated. inspiring is happening. Having said that, there's some great moments on it. I'm right there with you. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, if this had just been six songs, one disc, and it had ended a halo on fire, I'd be yeah. like, 
this is great. I was like, they've actually nailed it. They're having fun. The self-indulgence makes sense. It's really aggressive and over the top. I mean, like, this is technically their first album since 2008. Yeah. You know, we're not going to talk about the record that killed Lou Reed that they brought out. So, you know, the last album proper Metallica is Death Magnetic in 2008, which is this fucking grimdark piece of crap, which everyone like was like, they're back! Because people hate St. Anger. Now, the one tragedy about this record, Hardwired Self-Destruct, of course, I think we can all agree, is that Lars Ulrich's snare drum from St. Anger is not employed here. But, you know, you can't... Dave, have- oh, sorry, I was, I was cooking that evening. Uh, I must have been... Uh- you can't have everything, can you? I knew you were going to bring up St. Anger. So Stanger! Because it's a really good album. Oh, shit! Oh, God. So I was driving to work the other day, and I was like, I'm firing it up. I fired up St. Anger. I watched some kind of monster last night. What a film. What a film. It's an incredible film. St. Anger is utter trash. I talked to my friend who was the most... Thrash metal. (laughs) It's not even trash metal, and that's kind of what I want to talk about with this record is this is... Metallica going back to making a Metallica record. I think this is their best record since Injustice for All. Ooh. Yeah. Because I kind of feel that they... I'm not a big fan of the Black Album, but I kind of feel like they were looking to try and hit a classic rock, and then they kind of tried to adapt with the times a little bit too much with Load and Reload. They were looking at alt-rock, and they were looking at Smashing Pumpkins and Nine Inch Nails and Alice in Chains and trying to do something like that. St. Anger is pure new metal. They looked at System of a Down, and they looked at Slipknot, and they were just like, riffs are out. And funnily enough, in some kind of monster, Kirk Hammett is talking. He's kind of... He basically has nothing to do in the entire Kirk, film. Kirk, I, I feel so bad for him. He's, he's the mediator. He's like, hey guys, come on. Stop fighting. <laughs> there's, there's one point where he says... Like, he rides a white horse at he, one point as well. Yeah, and surfs. <laughs> what a film. <laughs> Not a euphemism. <laughs> but he argues against the, the, the whole idea is that uh, James and uh, Lars were like, no riffs, because that's the sound right now. And they were like, <laughs> no if, tunes, we, if guys. we put riffs in it, you know, it's so dated. And Kirk's <laughs> argument was that if we don't put riffs in it, it's going to sound so dated. And he was 100% right. So now they've kind of gone back to just making a record that they would have made in the late 80s. Yeah. I think it's... Ironically, apparently Kirk had little to no input in this entire record. Yeah, he, he lost yeah, his iPhone. Yeah, iCloud, man. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so therefore he lost all his sketches for the album. Josh, what did you make of it? Uh, the question that let's talk about Saint Anger first, though. <laughs> I think Saint Anger is a really good record. <laughs> okay. I will like listen to that. Like it's like one of the only Metallica albums that I'll throw on. I'll listen to start to finish. It's too long. You're saying it is too long. It's way too long. <laughs> I've had that thing with Saint Anger where I'm like, I'll defend that record because you know I think it has some really good stuff on it. The unnamed feeling is great. The title track is excellent. Frantic the title track fun. has a good riff, and that's it. But the problem mm-hmm. with that record is, I, I remember going to see Nine Inch Nails with my friends a few years ago in Belfast, and we were like, we're going to listen to Saint Anger in, in the car on the way up. And I remember, like, about two tracks in, I was like, someone should write a fucking think piece. I'm going to pitch to pitchfork about this. You know, someone, we really need an in-defense of St. Anger. And about three songs later, I was like, can we turn it off, please? Because it's just, they can't end the song. Now, they're guilty of that on this as well, but yeah. in a much more egregious way in St. Anger. But overall, Josh, you're a St. Anger fan. A St. Anger stan, if you will. <laughs> I am. Uh, and the question that uh, kind of kept running through my head listening to this record was... Am I savage? <laughs> After that. Or was, are we dancer? <laughs> <laughs> was uh, which of these songs is Triple H most likely to come out to at <laughs> WrestleMania this year? <laughs> oh wow! And I think personally, it's Am I Savage? <laughs> <laughs> so do I. Absolutely, I do. I do because because as well, it's one of the only points in this album where you actually have that classic Metallica thing of a slow burn build up. And that's one of the things that disappointed me about this record, that 
a lot of the songs, and initially we actually thought it was a positive. It lashed straight in. There was little enough fat on it. It, it had no time to be self-indulgent or meandering. You know, it had a good riff, and off we go. But the tempo stays the same. Precisely. Yeah. The problem is you're still there seven minutes later. It, it used to be the fact that, you know, like it might be two minutes before you get any sort of real payoff in a Metallica song because you have a nice slow build-up. That song, Am I Savage, like I'm listening to it and I'm thinking like, you know, 30 years ago, that build-up would have been a barnstormer, whereas now it's just a bit of a twiddly 50 seconds to kind of build into it. Like if that was blackened. If that was Battery, if that was one of those classic songs where you're just like, okay, holy shit, this is going to kick off. Now, but I think you do get that, that though. Yeah. I think you get that. With like, I mean, for example, I think Moth into Flame is, I'm putting it out there, guys. I think Moth into Flame is one of the best songs of the year. I would disagree. It's a very <laughs> yeah. good song, though. It is a very good song. Um, I think it's excellent. I think, I, think, I think it's so fucking joyous. I think it does its job incredibly well. I think it's musically fantastic. I think Hetfield... Hetfield, by the way, on this record... Great. Sounds amazing. Yeah. 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 yeah, absolutely. Do we reckon this is production or he's just done something? Because he sounds about fucking 20 years younger and he sounds excellent. I've seen some kind of live things they've done recently and he just seems way into it again. What so the hell that has seems, happened? I do, I do not know, but um, yeah, he just totally steals his album. He has more command on his vocals here than I've heard in I don't know how long. Yeah. And, you know, granted, the lyrics are still ridiculous because it's James Heffield and Metallica. But Moth into Flame in particular, I think, is phenomenal. I think it's a phenomenal song. And I think the first six songs generally are very, very strong. Atlas the, Rise is great crack. Those it's are fantastic. The, the last two minutes of Halo on Fire, you're just like, end the album like this. Yeah. I mean, maybe you'd put Spit Out the Bone is pretty great. Stick that on the first disc. Stick that on the first disc and you're good to go. That's a 45-minute album. It's like, everyone's just like, holy shit, yeah, one of the albums songs, of the year. Yeah. You'd, be like, you'd be like, this is the best album maybe ever. You'd be like, like they, they well, just, well, you know, up, up, well, there, up there, up there, <laughs> up there for sure. I mean, like, um, I think, you know, Atlas Rise, when that came out, Dave, you were like, it's three minutes too long. Now it's one of my favorite songs in the album. There you go. It just <laughs> Is that a comparative thing to the rest of the songs of the album, though? I'm not sure, because, like, I mean, uh, like, elsewhere, that like, the following song, Now That We're Dead, now that's three minutes too long. I think it's really good. It's a great song. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, you know, parts of the parts of those first songs, like the callback to Enter Sandman, um, I think it's Am I Savage or Hell on Fire kind of reminds me of Slipknot's Dead Memories of all things they managed to kind of evoke a certain style here without being too you know either self-referential or even ripping off other bands there's just like nice little hints of it when you get into disc 2 though it's when it kind of loses me and I found that I had to kind of listen to the record by splitting it I had to like take a break after right. the first six and do listen to something else uh, the new busted record actually uh, <laughs> but uh, that's, 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 <laughs> I was Pal- going back and forth between this and Leonard Cohen <laughs> in preparation for the episode that must have been <laughs> difficult it was jarring to say the very yeah, I can least. see now why you were, why you were unsettled by the Leonard Cohen record <laughs> um, but no with, with with disc two you know confusion dream no more man unkind Jesus Christ uh, here comes revenge murder <laughs> one spare the bone it's just too much and it gets too it gets too tiring the record as a whole is almost an hour and 20 minutes long it's their second longest record do you know what their longest record is ooh uh, load St. Anger load load yeah. really? load that's a fucking, fucking load <laughs> yeah humongous album <laughs> is Fuel on that no Reload Fuel is a great reload. song yeah Avril Lavigne doing a terrible cover of it uh, overall I find with this record that it's Disc one is the fun, well executed, self indulgent side of Metallica. Disc two is the ah, you didn't need this at all. You mm. know, like it, it, there's nothing on here that I would say is outright terrible. There's nothing on here that uh, justifies some of these terrible titles. There's nothing on here where I was like, <laughs> this is crap. 
I was just like, I've had a bit, of, I've kind of had enough now, guys. And like, I don't know, maybe metal fans will be delighted by this. Maybe they'll be like, it's the first proper Metallica record in eight years, and we really wanted this giant feast. Uh, for me, I will probably not listen to disc two, but I will definitely return to disc one a hmm. lot. Do you know what this record needs? And I know that Rick Rubin produced their last record, and I think Greg Fiddleman does a great job in this because he kind of just lets them make the record and kind of doesn't really inject himself in. Yeah. This needs the Rick Rubin Yeezus treatment where he just comes in <laughs> where they brought it to him and it's like you're not with us in the studio and they just present it to him and then he's like lose that, lose that, lose that and then maybe you could lean it down to if this was an eight song record yeah, just sure. get Rick in towards the end, just get him to lie on a couch for a couple of hours and just go, no, get rid of it. Yeah, that totally would have been worked. Um, yeah, I, I feel as though, like, not only is the record too long, but, the, like, there's also just nowhere near the ideas that you need to fill some of the st- song structures that they were trying to go for here, or that they should have been trying to go yeah. for. In they some were all stages. on Kirk's phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at, at the same time, I do agree. Like this is by no means a terrible record. I, I think the ultimate judge is this, okay? And because like I can, like I was a big Metallica fan as a teenager. If I knew a fifteen-year-old now, like who, who wanted to get a Metallica album and was going to buy this one, I would not lose my mind. Oh yeah, you yeah. know, and like that's one thing that that's a big thing to say for a band who, like you say, maybe made their best album. What is twenty-seven years ago now, or whatever it is? Yeah, yeah, that's a big thing to say. That you know, okay, actually. It's not that bad. What if the 15-year-old came back to you and said they were sold out of that one? I got this one with a big red fist on the cover. Yeah, you see, that's going right. <laughs> it's, it's better than the one with the semen on the cover. <laughs> that's going right in the bin, and we're getting puppets and justice from my CD collection. What one has semen on the cover? Load, Load. and reload, I and think, reload. as well. Yeah, God, they were just really? close-ups of, yeah. Craig was just really excited when he bought the record. They're not printed. <laughs> Josh? Um, I think overall, I, I'd probably agree. Like, I mean, this one definitely has its moments. Uh, overall, I kind of had a very hollow feeling coming from the record that it was sort of Metallica trying to be, you know, this sort of image of what Metallica is supposed to be, and that there was no real sort of progression in terms of the sound. Now, obviously, they've tried to like they've tried progression before, and people <laughs> were not too pleased yeah. about it. Some of us were. Well, the Lee Reed album as well. Oh, Jesus. Um, but like it's 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 definitely a good record. I just feel like it's probably going to be easily forgotten because it doesn't really offer anything that Metallica hasn't offered before. Mm-hmm. Well, they've uh, offered the, their fans a lot with this record. Money was spent. They released like twelve music videos, mm-hmm. like you know, to coincide with it. Actually, no, they released thirteen. 13. Yeah. Because yeah, at one point I was like, hang on, like they, they released a track called "Lords of Summer," and to borrow from my friend Dave pointing this out. Lords of fucking summer, lads. You're like in your fifties. <laughs> like, what the hell? I, yeah, I think the one thing about this album is, if you saw them live, you wouldn't be like, oh, they're doing one of the new songs. You'd actually be quite excited to oh, hear yeah. some of these songs live. So that's you they know they played Martin Flame on like Fallon or something, and it was excellent. Yeah. Um, if they played, if they announced a gig tomorrow, I'd go. That's yeah, how, I agree. On the strength of, the, of those first six songs, at least, I would want to see them live. I want to see them again. I'm gonna say seven out of ten. Um, and to be fair, if you had said to me like, when we announced that this record was coming out. That you'd be giving this record seven out of ten, and feeling a little bit like, am I get, am I, am I, am I savage? Am, am I lowballing it? Uh, it's a strong. I'm madly in anger with you right now. <laughs> it's a strong seven for me, and legitimately, guys, I hope Moth and Flame gets into the no encore top twenty songs of the year, but we'll see. I'm going to give it a seven point five. They're back. <laughs> yeah, it's an eight for disc one with a kind of seven. It drags down to about a seven. Yeah, but these are high scores. Uh, I'm going six. I don't think it it hits quite as much as I you can see why you go six that's fair enough uh, I'm also going to get sick going to go for six and I'm also <laughs> uh, going to get, get six, six. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, gonna, 
And I'm also brought back to that. Remember, Dave, the uh, the world of no sevens, um, where it's really easy to give something seven out of ten. So, in a world of no sevens, <laughs> is it a six or an eight? It's a six. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fuck <Okay>. you. <laughs> also, where did that come from, by the way? Uh, it's Neil A. Patel of the Verge podcast. Oh, um, that's really good. Yeah, because it forces people to a real decision. It's so easy. Like, oh, it's it's a good. It's a seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um. <laughs> You're a fucking asshole. <laughs> well, uh, one album that I gave six out of ten to. Are you happy now, Josh? Delighted. Is uh, the new Busted record, Night Drivers. Oh, hold on, you gave it a six. I gave it a six. Hey, who's heard it for the last two weeks and who hasn't? Yeah, shut your fucking mouth. But I'm kidding. Josh. It's okay. Good, it's, good, it's good to have you in the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, uh, if I was going to recommend other things to listen to, uh, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd recommend you give Busted Album a go. It's weird. I mean, granted, my review is full of snark, and I quite enjoyed writing it, and I took a lot of shots. Uh, and I also mentioned some new metal in there, so it's a weird, it's a weird little review. But uh, yeah, six out of ten for Busted's new album, Night Driver, which is doesn't sound anything like they used to. Sounds like they listened a lot of Maroon Five and Daft Punk. Sounds like they went to LA. Sounds like they hired big writers and made record, made songs that they don't really have any identity in. But you know, pop music is strange, and it's coming off the Rob Williams terrible album. It's nice to hear some male-driven pop that's while not about a lot, at least well executed. So if I was going to recommend you you pick up something this week, go and listen to Busted, lads. Anything else? I haven't heard much else to, speak to be honest. <laughs> I'm still rinsing that Robbie Williams record, to be honest. <laughs> Some whopper chance. You're going to you're gonna give out to me about Schoolboy Q, aren't you? No, well, look, listen to that <laughs> album already, but um, I haven't got to spend a lot of time with it, but uh, A Tribe Called Quest, sixth and possibly final record. We got it from here. Thank you for your service. Um, it is really, really good. Again, kind of, I know we were talking about hearing someone for the last time and uh, just getting to hear Fife Dog one more time is phenomenal uh the production on it is great kind of q-tip is incredibly underrated in that regard and it's got a slew of really good guests under 3000 and uh kendrick and man of the year anderson packs in there as well so i take over that praise indeed well uh well well first of all thanks very much guys for coming in thank you thank all of you for thank being you here. Dave. really appreciate it as always uh, listeners, if you are a fan of this podcast, I would ask you to uh, do the annoying thing of rating and reviewing us on iTunes if you are an iTunes subscriber. And if you're not, why not? Subscribe, you know. Uh, it's kind of one of those weird things. It'll take you no time at all. Uh, if you like the show, give us a good rating and say something nice. Because it does actually fucking boost the profile of the program and even some of the biggest podcasts ask their listeners to do so. So I don't feel too bad about doing so. But to play us out this week, uh, an incredible song, if you ask me. A band that appeared on the very first episode were huge fans of Overhead, the Albatross. They play Vicar Street on the 9th of December to, I guess, promote that gig slash reflect the times that we live in. I don't know how long the song was in the works. They recorded a cover of Hans Zimmer's Time from Inception, which I'm sure everyone knows and really enjoys. Uh, it's an excellent piece of music, and they've done a bit of a twist on it in that they have used uh, the speech from the end of Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator, and they've used it to great effect. Uh, have we all had a chance to listen to it, by the way? Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. Superb. I think it's absolutely magnificent. Uh, like, kind of goosebumps, a tear in my eye, Dave. A tear in my eye. Dave's <laughs> actually talking to himself there. <laughs> <laughs> Higgins Flair. remains unmoved. <laughs> <laughs> Higgins remains unmoved would be a phenomenal autobiography, wouldn't it? <laughs> it's definitely going to make an awesome pod title. So. <laughs> Higgins remains unmoved, I like it, yeah. Uh, well, we'll see, we, we have options. But uh, Rick Flair, <laughs> tear in my eye. That's me. Uh, yeah, so to play us out this week, Overhead the Albatross's cover of Time, I recommend you listen to this all the way through. It's fucking beautiful. And check out the video that they recorded in Vicar Street with the excellent bull puppy behind them. It's fantastic. An amazing band and an amazing song. Sadly relevant, but brilliant nonetheless. My name is Dave Hanready. This has been No Encore. There will be no encore. Later.
I'm sorry. But I don't want to be a, an emperor. That's not my business. I don't want to rule or conquer anyone. I should like to help everyone if possible. Jew, Gentile, black man, white. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there's room for everyone, and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful, but we have lost the way. Greed has poisoned men's souls, has barricaded the world with hate, has goose-stepped us into misery and bloodshed. We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. The aeroplane and the radio have brought us closer together. The very nature of these inventions cries out for the goodness in men, cries out for universal brotherhood, for the unity of us all. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world, millions of despairing men, women, and little children. Victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die. And the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. You have the love of humanity in your hearts. You don't hate. Only the unloved hate, the unloved and the unnatural. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power, the power to create machines, the power to create happiness. You the people have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Then in the name of democracy, let us use that power. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world decent world that will give men a chance to work, that will give youth a future and old age a security. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us fight to free the world, to do away with national barriers. Soldiers, in the name of democracy, let us all unite!
HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details. about mcdonald's all day can't get it off my mind i can already taste it oh got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some mickey d's deal there's a deal for every moment at mcdonald's right now get two of your favorites for just 350 mix and match a classic mcchicken a hot and spicy mcchicken or a juicy mcdouble price and participation may vary cannot be combined with combo meal single item at regular price Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.